Hey, before you guys sit down, could we pray? And then we'll let you know what today is going to unfold like. Because it's going to be a little bit different today, as I've been sharing with you the last couple weeks. Um, Every once in a while, we do things a little bit differently here so that we don't get into a rut, if you will. Um, So today's going to look a little bit different. So if you're visiting with us, this is not normally how we do our service on Sunday. But we decided to do something a little bit different around our message today. And we are so glad all of you are with us. So here's what we're going to ask of you to do today is just uh, we're going to pray together and sort of ask God to bless our time together today. And then you guys can be seated. And uh, just like we did several months ago, we're going to be interspersing songs throughout the message today. So uh, you, if we invite you, if you want to stand for each, if you would rather not, if you would rather sit, whatever. But what we just want you to do today is to worship the Lord. And we're going to talk about that today from the book of Psalms. So let's, uh, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time together today. And then we'll get into our service today. Father, we ask, Lord, that God, that your spirit would be here in such a special way today. That God, we know that for those of us that know Christ as our Savior, that your spirit resides within us always. But God, we also know that your spirit is here in this place, in this auditorium. And we ask God that your spirit would rest here in in a heavy, weighty way. In a way, God, that that would be so thick with God, that for all of us who have come here, whatever our week has been, whatever our week is going to be, that God, we would be able to have all distractions removed from our minds and our hearts, and we would totally focus on you in this hour ahead. God, may we put you in your proper place, and may we do it, Lord, not only now, but but Lord, for the rest of today and in the days and weeks and months ahead. And God, we pray that you would use this service and use this special day of doing something a little bit different, Lord, to truly speak into our lives. And Lord, help us to experience you and to encounter you maybe in a whole new way like we never have before. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our, in our church family we thank you, God, for the, for the news that we're going to be able to share later on in the, in the service. And God, we thank you, Lord, for just the, the way, Lord, that you're calling people to this place to be a part of this church family. And God, we just pray that this day would be a significant day in the history of this church, the Oasis, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So today we're going to do a book study of the book of Psalms. And so first of all, before you turn to the Psalms, I'd like you to turn to the table of contents in your Bible. Okay? The table of contents. And by the way, I'll say this. There's going to be so much scripture and whatever that we're going to be sharing today that here's my encouragement, especially for those of you that like to sort of take notes and stuff, to not worry about that today, to just absorb, if you will, 
what we're going to attempt to do here today. And if you want the specific verses and passages and all that, just listen to the podcast later on and write it down. But just just be today. Be in the moment of being here and being surrounded and enveloped by God, by His Word, by His people, and, and by our worship of Him today in the songs that we're going to sing. The reason I want to start out in the table of contents is for this reason. If you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament can be divided really into three major sections, if you will. If you go from Genesis all the way through Esther, the book of Esther, you could categorize all of those books as dealing with history. And then if you go from Isaiah all the way to the end of the Old Testament to Malachi, all of those books could be categorized as prophecy. So you have these two major sections, the historical section and the prophetic section. But right in the middle of the Old Testament, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs are really the heart of the Old Testament. And I don't mean the heart just because these books fall in the middle of the Old Testament. That these are the heart of the Old Testament because unlike these books of sweeping history and prophecy, these books were written by individuals for individuals. And it's one of the many reasons why Christians throughout history have identified more with these five books in the heart of the Old Testament than they do any of the historical and prophetic books. Because these books tend not only to speak to us about things, they speak for us, if you will, about things that we can identify with. And obviously the Psalms falls right in the middle of that part of the Old Testament. As we said last week, The Psalms is the largest book of the Bible. Therefore, if you're looking at what is a priority for God, just from sheer volume, the Psalms are going to stand out. They are are a significant part of the Word of God. The largest book of the Bible, that's not an accident. The Psalms also contain the largest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. It contains the shortest chapter in the Bible. And the book of Psalms is quoted more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament book. So I I don't think we can overstate the significance of this book. So as you and I approach this great book today, 150 Psalms, how are we going to tie all this together today? Well, that was my job. And so here's how we're going to do it. The book of Psalms has an overarching theme to it. It is basically teaching us what does it mean to be a spiritual person. We talk a lot about spirituality and being a spiritual person. And even for people who aren't Christians, obviously, spiritualness is something that people talk about all the time, you see. There's something sort of attractive about that because it's almost like if, if, I, if I think that I'm a spiritual person or that, that others are spiritual person, there's something of substance there. We would almost say that, you know, people that maybe don't look at themselves or want to be spiritual people can tend to get caught up in the superficial. 
and be really, you know, surfacey, if you will. And there's no real substance. That being a spiritual person provides substance or foundation to our lives. But we also know that, according to the Bible, there's a lot of false spirituality out there. And so Psalms isn't just teaching us about what does it mean to be a spiritual person, but what does it mean to be a biblically spiritual person? And, and how do I know that I'm in, in a sense, spiritual good health? That's what the book of Psalms is going to do for us. It basically gives us seven aspects of a spiritually healthy person. In other words, as we go through the book of Psalms today, you and I are sort of going to be able to look at the standard of spirituality from God's perspective and go, Okay, I'm coming in sort of for a spiritual checkup today. And I'm going to see, you know, how I'm measuring up. Does, does the book of Psalms, as it describes what a spiritual person is, is it describing me? Can I see myself in these different aspects of what God is laying out in the book of Psalms as spiritual good health? Following me so far? Y'all, okay, good, because... You know, I know I'm starting right out here this morning, and usually you get the worship to sort of get your engaged, but not today. So I'm, I'm looking out there, and it's like, I don't know whether you guys are with me or not. Okay, good. So with that being said, I want you to first turn to Psalm 145. And we're going to look at the first aspect of a spiritual person, a spiritually healthy person. And the first aspect I want to start with actually sort of ends the book of Psalms, and it's this, praise. A spiritually healthy person will be a person of praise. What is praise? We talk a lot about that word from the Bible. Praising God, if you will. Well, praise is really uh, identified in finding our joy in God himself. It is not praising him for something specific. We're going to get to that later on in the message. It is literally praising him for his person alone. For who he is and who he has revealed himself to be. And that's why, as Christians, we are commanded and called to praise because we can always be praising God. We might not be able to be praising God, if you will, or be praising in our life for the circumstances we find ourselves. Because they change. But the reason that we can always praise God is because the Bible teaches us about God. God teaches us about Himself. I don't change. And therefore, there is that constant, if you will, that unchangeableness of God, His character, who He is, who He has revealed Himself to be, that we can always find our joy in, if you will. In a sense, too, what praise reminds us of is that it is centered on God. It's God-centered. Praise, from a biblical standpoint, must be God-centered. Now, one of the things, obviously, then we struggle with in our day and age is even within the church, there's a lot of man-centeredness, if you will, in, in things that we do. 
And churches can even become man-centered, if you will. Or we can become self-centered in our lives. But when we are learning to become people of praise, we are learning to get our eyes and our focus and our attention off of man, off of us, and on to God. In fact, that's one of the reasons why we worship here through song, is we're trying to encourage all of us to get our thoughts, get our attention, get our focus off of us and off of anyone or anything else, and get our focus onto God. That's what praise is all about. And I'll say this, based upon what the Psalms teach us, a praiseless spirituality is a false spirituality. In other words, some Christian or person who confesses to be a Christian can say, I'm a spiritual person, but if my life is not filled with praise, then I can say all day long that I'm a spiritual person, but the Bible, the book of Psalms, would teach me something very different. Because the book of Psalms is teaching me that in order to have spiritual good health, in order to consider myself a spiritual person, my life needs to be learning to be filled with praise. Let me give you some examples. Starting in Psalm 145. And by the way, these last few Psalms are also called the Hallel Psalms because of all the praise, if you will. It's just another way of saying Hallelujah. In fact, the times that you see the word praise in the Old Testament, you could substitute the word hallelujah there. Listen to these verses from Psalm 145, the first three verses. I will extol you, my God, O King. I will praise your name continually. Every day I will praise you. I will praise your name continually. The Lord is great and certainly worthy of praise. Look at Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God as long as I exist. Psalm 147. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. Yes, praise is pleasant and appropriate. I'll go down to Psalm 148. But instead of starting at the beginning, look at verse 13. Let them, speaking of us as Christians corporately, because one of the things that the psalmist is saying is, Praise isn't just for us individually. God calls us out to be his people, to come together corporately and praise him. So notice Psalm 148, verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty extends over the earth and sky. He has made his people victorious and given all his loyal followers reason to praise. The Israelites, the people who are close to him, Praise the Lord. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Praise Him in the assembly of the godly. And then finally, the last psalm. Psalm 150. Listen to the words of this song. Praise the Lord. 
Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the sky, which testifies to his strength. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the blast of the horn. Praise him with the lyre and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and with dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and the flute. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So if the book of Psalms teaches us that praise is one aspect of being a spiritual person, then the second aspect would be honesty. Honesty. What do I mean by that? Well, again, down through history, there have been many followers of Christ who almost feel, I think, and, and come to get to a place in their lives where it's, it's not It's not spiritual to really express how I'm really doing. How I'm really feeling and what I'm really thinking. That's not a spiritual person. I could be miserable. I I could be dying inside. I, I could be discouraged. I could be mad at God. But I'm going to make sure because I'm a spiritual person that nobody, even including God somehow, doesn't know how I'm really doing or really feeling. And yet the book of Psalms is all about telling us, be honest. Be honest. It's one of the reasons I think that David was called a man after God's own heart. We know David wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but the thing that God appreciated about David, one of the things was that David was honest before God. When David was discouraged, he'd tell God, I'm discouraged. When he was mad at God, he'd tell God, God, I'm I'm angry about this. I don't like the way this is going, or I don't like this, or whatever. But there was always a transparency and an honesty with God. With where we really are, with where he really was. And that's what God wants to see in our lives. That's actually an aspect of a truly spiritual person. Not one who's playing games. Not one who's putting up a front. Or who's trying to put forth some false, you know, front, if you will. Even before God and others. It's somebody who's just being honest and transparent. And who's learned that that's really an aspect of true spirituality. 62 of the 150 psalms are laments. What are laments? They are expressions of deep feeling, positive or negative. And again, for many, it is not spiritual to acknowledge how we are really feeling or what we are really thinking. But the book of Psalms, I think, teaches us something much different. Look at Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you pay no attention during times of trouble? That's just someone who's being honest. Who's saying, this is how I feel, God. This is what I'm thinking. Go over to Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, Lord... Will you continue to ignore me? 
How long will you pay no attention to me? See, the book of Psalms is teaching us something. It's saying that in spite of maybe how we were raised or what we heard in church or what we've heard from other Christians or maybe even what we've thought ourselves, that true spirituality and learning to be a spiritual person is about being honest. Because one of the things that God prizes above everything else is us just being transparent. If this is where we are, then let's admit this is where we are. It's actually one of the ways that we are able to truly then come before God and and begin to deal with things rather than pretending to live in some fantasy world instead of living in reality. Is there something you need to be honest about before God today? Something that God is saying, don't keep playing games, don't keep pretending, don't keep trying to put a false front to it, Deal with the reality of where you and I are and be honest. Look at Psalm 55. Psalm 55. Before we share these verses, you know, one of the reasons why human beings don't come to God in the first place is because they're not really being honest, thinking that they can go through life without really needing God. God, I don't need you. I can deal with life on my own. I I am a self-contained unit, and everything that I'll ever face in life, I can deal with on my own. Really? You ever need surgery? And if you're not a surgeon, do you want to do that yourself, or do you want to rely on somebody else to do it? If you're not a pilot, do you you really want to fly a plane because you can do everything yourself and you don't ever need to rely or depend on anyone else to do anything for you? And yet somehow as Christians, we can even get to a point where it's like, God, I got this. I, I don't need you. And again, that's one of the main reasons why people don't come to God in the first place is because in their minds, God, I've got this. Even if you exist, I, I don't need you. I can live life and do things on my own. That's just not being honest. That's not really dealing in reality. That's living in a fantasy world. Listen to these verses from Psalm 55. Listen, O God, to my prayer. Do not ignore my appeal for mercy. Pay attention to me and answer me. I am so upset. And distressed, I'm beside myself because of what the enemy says and because of how the wicked pressure me. For they hurl trouble down upon me and angrily attack me. My heart beats violently within me. The horrors of death overcome me. Fear and panic overpower me. Terror overwhelms me. I say I wish I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and settle in a safe place. Sometimes that's the way we feel, isn't it? God, I just wish I was a bird and I could just fly away and leave all these things behind. That's being honest. So the first aspect of a spiritual person, according to the book of Psalms, is praise. The second is honesty. The third is wisdom. Wisdom. 
a wisdom that is found and contained in the word of God. And remember, wisdom is the skill of living life. It is the skill of navigating life. It's not just something that sits in my head. It's something that flows through my arms and, and, and feet and, and fingers and, and all of that and, and teaches me how to navigate life. It teaches me how to sidestep the minefields of life so that I don't, you know, blow myself up or others up. That's what true wisdom is. And therefore, the book of Psalms is filled with psalms and verses that teach on the the, the value of God's wisdom that he's given us in his word and how it calls out to us to be a people who saturate our minds and fill our hearts with the word of God. That's how we'll be prosperous. That's how we'll be successful. By living not by my wisdom or other people's wisdom, but by living by God's wisdom. And this wisdom that is given in his word is such knowledge and understanding that God wants it to be something that guides every decision and choice that I make every day. That's really where it comes down to the practical application of wisdom. That God wants his wisdom to be that which guides my choices and decisions. His wisdom should be the highest influence in my life. That as I make choices and decisions, I'm making them not based upon what I can see and foresee and the things that I can discern and perceive, but what God has shown me in His Word. People of wisdom are spiritual people. Look at Psalm 1. The very first psalm. So that must mean it's pretty important if God starts out this great book with this truth. And by the way, though we're not going to look at it today, Psalm 119, the largest chapter in the Bible, is all about the Word of God. All about the wisdom gained from the Word of God. We would have been here till noon, so I wasn't going to read Psalm 119. You can read it for yourself. But look just at the first couple verses of Psalm 1. How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the assembly of scoffers. Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands, and he meditates on his commands day and night. He will be like a tree planted by flowing streams. It yields its fruit at the proper time and its leaves never fall off. He succeeds in everything that he does. Look over at Psalm 19. Psalm 19, beginning at verse 7. I love this passage in Psalm 19. It talks about the excellencies, if you will, of the Word of God. The psalmist writes, The law of the Lord is perfect and preserves one's life. The rules set down by the Lord are reliable and impart wisdom to the inexperienced. The Lord's precepts are fair and make one joyful. The Lord's commands are pure and give insight for life. The commands to fear the Lord are right and endure forever. The judgments given by the Lord are trustworthy and absolutely just. They are of greater value than gold, than even a great amount of pure gold. They bring greater delight than honey, than even the sweetest honey from a honeycomb. 
Yes, your servant finds moral guidance there. And those who obey them receive a rich reward. One other example of this wisdom. Turn with me to Psalm 78. And look at the first four verses. God says through the psalmist, Pay attention, my people, to my instruction. Listen to the words I speak. I will sing a song that imparts wisdom. I will make insightful observations about the past. What we have heard and learned, that which our ancestors have told us, we will not hide from their descendants. We will tell the next generation about the Lord's praiseworthy acts, about His strength and the amazing things He has done. We're going to couple number four and five together. The fourth aspect of a spiritual person, according to the book of Psalms, is one who's willing to change. So I put the word change as the heading of this. You see, this aspect is found in what are called the penitential Psalms. These Psalms express one who has come to be Broken, humble, repentant, and contrite. These psalms describe one who has experienced pain and difficulty in going their own way in life. And now are ready to change course and follow God's way. And that's an aspect of a truly spiritual person. Even though we may not want or like change... The Bible teaches us that a spiritual person is always willing to be changed in the hands of God. That as that clay sort of sits in the potter's hands, we need to learn to allow God to mold us and make us after His will. In fact, isn't the very purpose of our salvation, according to Romans 8.29 that we studied through the book of Romans was to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? And how can you and I be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ every day if we're not willing to change? If we're not willing to say, God, change me. Change my attitude about something. Change my perspective about something. Change the direction I'm going in my life. But be willing to change. If we approach God and say, God... This is who I am. This is the way I've always been. This is the road I'm going down. And this is the road I'm going to continue to go down. And God, I don't care what you do or how you speak into my life. I will not change. That is not a spiritual person. In fact, God has a warning for people like that in the Bible. And God calls people like that stubborn. He calls people like that stiff-necked. He doesn't have a lot of kind things to say about those who refuse to change and be open to change. Now this morning, for the sake of time, we're not going to go into all these psalms that are the penitential psalms, but I would like to share them with you so that in case you'd like to read them for yourself or study them, you can. So here they are. Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, 
Psalm 102, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143. All about change and being willing to change in the hands of God. Now, obviously, what goes along with that leads us to number five, and that is trust. Trust is the fifth aspect of a biblical spiritual person. Because I won't be willing to change and put myself in the hands of God and let Him mold me and make me if I don't trust Him. So that's why change and trust really do go together. The Bible teaches us that the object of our trust must be God. We must learn to rely on the one greater than ourselves. That's really what life comes down to. Learning to trust God. The New Testament sort of uh, version of this would be the word we use would be faith. And whether you want to use the word faith or belief or confidence in or trust, they all speak about the same thing. About one who realizes that much of life is beyond our control. And therefore, God, I'm going to just place myself in your capable hands. Because you're the one that created the universe. And you're the one that created me. And you're the one that can see the beginning from the end. And the end from the beginning. And you know everything. I know just very, very little. And therefore, God, I'm going to trust you. There are so many psalms. And so many verses in the Psalms about trusting God. And was not Jesus' call even to those to follow Him? I mean, that's primarily how He called people. He would go up to them and He would say, follow me. Well, obviously, we're not going to be willing to follow Jesus if we truly don't trust Him. So listen to these psalms about trust. First, turn to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. The psalmist writes, I relied completely on the Lord, and He turned toward me and heard my cry for help. He lifted me out of the watery pit, out of the slimy mud. He placed my feet on a rock and gave me secure footing. He gave me reason to sing a new song, praising our God. May many see what God has done so that they might swear allegiance to Him and trust in the Lord. How blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Then turn to Psalm 62. And look at verses 5 through 8. The psalmist writes, Patiently wait for God alone, my soul, for He is the one who gives me confidence. He alone is my protector and deliverer. He is my refuge. I will not be upended. God delivers, delivers me and exalts me. God is my strong protector and my shelter. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is our shelter. Before we turn to the last psalm that illustrates trust, 
The thing I loved about this psalm and why I picked this psalm for last is because it gives us a great picture. It's basically the psalmist saying, you know what? Remember, if we can remember, when we were really a little child or a baby or whatever, how safe and secure we felt in our mother or father's arms. We weren't worried about anything or anxious because we trusted in the one who was holding us. And the psalmist is telling us God wants us to get to that point with him. Where instead of living life with such worry and anxiety and anguish and fretting over so many things, where we just literally crawl up into the arms of our Heavenly Father and trust that He's got us. And just like that child is willing to trust in their parents or grandparents or whoever is holding them at the moment and they don't have a care in the world, God says, won't you become like that with me? So listen to these words from Psalm 131. It's only three verses, but powerful verses about trusting in the Lord. Notice what the psalmist says. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor do I have a haughty look. I do not have great aspirations or concern myself with things that are beyond me. Indeed, I am composed and quiet. Like a young child carried by its mother, I am content like the young child I carry. O Israel, hope in the Lord now and forevermore. We are almost done navigating the largest book in the Bible. Good for you. Thank you for hanging in there with me today. The sixth aspect of a spiritual person, according to the book of Psalms, is one of memory. Memory. It's not someone who's living in the past, but one who is using the acts and deeds and works and deliverances of God in the past to encourage us and fuel us for the present and beyond. It is one who is willing to take time to create memories, if you will, of the things that God has done, those significant things, and memorialize them and mark them in our lives, and then go back to them and refer to them and even pass them on to the next generation. This aspect is really taught throughout Scripture, and I'm not going to take time to read this particular psalm, but I will give it to you that references the memory part, and that is Psalm 136. That would be a great psalm to read that teaches us about the importance of being a person of memory. Psalm 136. But think about this. Even when you go back to the book of Joshua, after the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan River, what did God ask of them? To go back and take 12 stones out of that river and pile them up as a marker, as a memorial. Create this. Take time to create this, God says. Don't miss this. Don't lose this moment in your history. And then God says, I want you to go back to those stones every once in a while. I want you to remind Remind yourself of what those stones represent. That you were able as a nation to cross over on dry ground because of me. And then he says, I want you to tell your children 
and your grandchildren and the next generation about those stones too. Because I want to fill their minds with who I am and what I have done. People of memory. And really to be people of memory is to be a people of history. It is not to lose our past and lose our history of all the things that God has done and all that God has brought us through, but to take time to create every once in a while those markers or memorials. Now again, very practically, for some of you that may mean you journal and you keep track of of the things that God has done in those significant times. For others of you, I would encourage you, especially with an artistic creative bent, to literally create something, to build something, if you will, that you can go back to and every once in a while remind yourself and be encouraged in the fact that, remember when God did this in our lives? Remember, and and be able to even share it with others? Isn't this exactly what the Lord's table is even about? That Jesus instituted the Lord's table as a way of memory, as a way of remembering. He, he took the cup, which symbolized his blood, and the bread, which symbolized his body, and said, I know that your salvation is significant, but I also know this about my people. They can be very forgetful. And therefore, I need to create an institution that's something that they will continue to come back to and be reminded as people of memory about what I have done for them. God wants us to be that. That's an aspect of a spiritual person. And the more we know about history and and in a sense keep hold of the things that God has done and learn more about it, the more significant it becomes and the more meaningful it becomes in our lives. That's one of the reasons why God gave us his word and told us even as people of the New Testament to make sure that we familiarize ourselves with his dealings with the people of the Old Testament, including the nation of Israel. Because God says, I want you to be encouraged as my people now about the way I worked with my people in the past. And God wants us all to live that way. So memory. And then finally, the last aspect of a spiritual person, according to the book of Psalms, is thanks, a thankful person, a person of gratitude and appreciation to God. You say, what's the difference between praise and thanks? Praise is always focused on the person of God. That's it. On who he is and what he has revealed himself to be. Thanks is someone whose gratitude and appreciation and thankfulness is for something specific. In other words, look at it this way. Praise is about the person of God. Thanks is about the provision of God. The things that God has provided, if you will. And the book of Psalms is filled with psalms about thanking God. One of the greatest is Psalm 118. I know this is a long psalm, but I want to read it in its entirety this morning. The psalmist writes, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His loyal love endures. Literally, God is faithful always. Let Israel say, yes, His loyal love endures. Let the family of Aaron say, yes, his loyal love endures. Let the loyal followers of the Lord say, yes, his loyal love endures. 
In my distress, I cried out to the Lord and the Lord answered me and put me in a wide open place. The Lord is on my side. I'm not afraid what people can do to me. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take shelter in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take shelter in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me. Indeed, in the name of the Lord, I pushed them away. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. Indeed, in the name of the Lord, I pushed them away. They surrounded me like bees, but they disappeared as quickly as a fire among thorns. Indeed, in the name of the Lord, I pushed them away. You aggressively attacked me and tried to knock me down, but the Lord helped me. The Lord gives me strength and protects me. He has become my deliverer. They celebrate deliverance in the tents of the godly. The Lord's right hand conquers. The Lord's right hand gives victory. The Lord's right hand conquers. I will not die, but live. And I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord severely punished me, but he did not hand me over to death. Open for me the gates of the just king's temple. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The godly enter it. I will give you thanks for you answered me and have become my deliverer. The stone which the builders discarded has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's work. We consider it amazing. This is the day the Lord has brought about. We will be happy and rejoice in it. Please, Lord, deliver. Please, Lord, grant us success. May the one who comes in the name of the Lord be blessed. We will pronounce blessings on you in the Lord's temple. The Lord is God and He has delivered us. Tie the offering with ropes to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will praise you. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good and His loyal love endures. We could sum up all the aspects of being a biblical spiritual person by using one word that describes all seven of these aspects, and it's really the word worship. What does it mean to worship? Worship is an active response to God whereby we declare His supreme worth. In fact, the word worship comes from the word worth. And so... When we talk about worshiping God, what we are to be saying is that God is the one that is worth more than anyone or anything else. That's worship. That's what worship is. And that's what all of these seven aspects in the book of Psalms are born out of, is our worship of God. We are saying by the way we live, not just by what we say, but the way we live, we are declaring, God, you are the one in my life of supreme worth. We are declaring His worth. Let me ask you today, in your life, every day, how do you declare the supreme worth of God? How do others know if they were to look at your life and my life and examine it and observe it? How would they know that God 
is the one of supreme worth in my life, more than anyone or anything else. That's worship. Because we've come to a place in our lives where we don't just believe God can save me and deliver me, but where we have come to believe that He is of supreme worth. There is no one more worthy than He is. I need you to ask I need to ask you guys to bear with me today a little bit. There's no perfect time to do what we're gonna do this morning, but I hated to do it on a Tuesday night because I feel like that cuts out about half of you. And I wanted to do it on a day where we had, you know, at least more people, you know, than we would on a Tuesday night. First of all, though, a couple of other things. I know Janine has been wanting to try to get together some young families for an activity today, and she didn't get much response. If you would like to be a part of something for young families, please let her know or email her or whatever. We really do want to try to provide an opportunity for young families to get together and encourage each other and and fellowship with with each other. Uh, Men, Woody's got some things out there for you. Uh, that he would love for you to stop by and take a look at, including that today will be the last day if you want to go to the ASU football game on the 22nd, which, by the way, all of a sudden has become really important. Uh, You may want to go out because he's going to order the tickets uh, very, very soon for that. Also wanted to make this announcement for our great foster group home ministry as well. Thanksgiving will be here in 18 days. The foster care ministry would like to bless the homes with the fixings for a Thanksgiving dinner. We will be collecting certain items for the next two weeks. If you would like to be a part of this, please stop at the table in the lobby to see how you can participate. Yes, the clothing exchange. And this is Friday, November 14th at 6 p.m. at your house. All right, so if you'd like to be a part of the clothing exchange at Sally's house coming up this Friday night at 6 p.m., Please pick up one of these flyers or come see Sally. I've been sharing with you for several weeks. I've got some stuff that I wanted to roll out to you guys today to be aware of some exciting things that are coming. So here they are, briefly. One, starting in January, January 1st of 2015, instead of doing a weekly blog that I've been doing through the book of Psalms for the last three years, uh, I'm going to be doing a daily blog. Literally, I'm going to be inviting people into my personal study every day and saying, would you come into my study? And if you don't do anything else in the word of God, would you at least be willing to build a consistency about coming with me and getting into the word of God every day for just a few minutes? And the reason why I've been led by God to do this is because I continue to hear from Christians that one of the things they struggle with more than anything else is being consistent in their time in God's Word. And what I have found over the years, folks, it's not the Christian who reads 10 chapters one day and goes three or four days and then reads another 10 chapters. That's really not what what really helps us. What helps us is doing a little bit each day. So will you pray along with me that God will use this? We're going to be asking you guys to share this with others as it comes out. Because my heart is that Christians, whether this is all you do or whether this is a part of what you do every day in the word of God, that you would get people along with yourselves to come to this 
and at least get into the Word of God consistently beginning January 1st, 2015. Also, along with that, as you know, one of our visions as a church is when I planted this church, I really believe that God wanted to use this as a ministry where we flooded the East Valley or the whole area of Phoenix with the Word of God. How do we get the Word of God out to more and more people? Because we really believe in the Word of God. And obviously we know people you know, listen to the podcasts from all over the world. But we understand, too, that that only hits so many people. That if we were willing to put out the video of the messages, that that would reach a whole different group of people who may be out there trying to find messages on certain passages of Scripture or books of the Bible or topics in the Bible. So beginning the first Sunday of January, we are going to start videoing the message on Sunday and getting it out uh, so that people will be able to not only hear through podcasts, but we'll be able to capture an even other audience through video uh, with the Word of God. Which leads me to something else. About six months ago, we had told you that as a building team, we had really all thought that this piece of property over here on Chandler Heights, literally like three miles from where we meet now, was something that God was drawing us to. We began to have conversations with the trustees and the realtor of that property, and we never made a formal offer, but we, we were in initial conversations with them and just felt from the response back from the realtor that this was not the right fit at the time and all of that. And so we as a building team walked away from that property. As we have been meeting as a building team and we've been looking exhaustively at all the properties that are available in this area, from properties with no buildings on them to properties with buildings on them to even vacant churches that we could just, you know, move into or whatever, that the best land that fits us and our vision for this church at the best price, at the best location, is still this property on Chandler Heights Road. So we have decided as a building team to go back and approach the realtor of this property and make a formal offer from our church for this property. Let me give you just real briefly, too, a couple things. And guys, if you want to, go ahead and show them where this is. As I've told you before, if you just go down Riggs, up Gilbert, and when you get to Chandler Heights, you make a left or go west on Chandler Heights... It is literally a half a mile on the right. And it's that, it's that eight acres that's outlined there in red. You can see the clump of trees and there's a few buildings on it. And then you see a little bit smaller of where it's at up there at the top. Um, a couple things about that property that's really attractive to me, both in the present and looking into the future. One. That property is so close to where we are now that I don't think we would lose anybody. Because part of my heart was, I don't want to move so far away from where we meet now that people would go, i got five minutes to drive to church now, now I've got to make a 45-minute drive. I won't do that. I'll, I'll find another church. I want to be able to take everybody with us from here. Okay, So to be able to, to get that piece of property would fit into that. Nobody's going to say, well, I can drive to Basha, but I can't drive... Over there. Secondly, as if you know that area at all, you know that that area 
is just being developed like unbelievably. That whole Gilbert Road area, there are all kinds of new developments and new homes and everyone is pouring into that area. And it was like God was speaking to me saying, Jeff, I not only want to possibly move you into this area for now, but I want to I want that oasis to be there for the people that are going to literally flood in and be looking for a spiritual home in the years to come. Um, so here's what we're asking of you to do. We are designating this Wednesday, November the 12th, a day of prayer and fasting for us as a church family. We are asking, would you join us? In specifically praying about this piece of property. And again, too, when I say fasting, I want that to be a voluntary thing. Because I realize some of you, either because of health issues or the medications or whatever you take, you can't fast. That's okay. Okay? But for those of you that would choose to fast and pray, we would love for you to do that as well. On your way out, you will be handed a half sheet of paper that even gives you sort of some bullet points, if you will, of specific things that we would like you to be in prayer about in these next couple of weeks as we formalize our proposal and make it to the trustees of this property. Just very quickly, our church leadership and congregation will be sensitive and open to God's leading in this next step of our church's history. Two, that God will open the hearts of the trustees of this property and guide Oasis leadership in making the offer on this property. Three, that God will direct the meetings and process of permits, etc. with the city and county, which, by the way, has already begun. That God would guide the financing process in such a way that honors Him. That our church family will grow in faith and be stronger in our walk with Him because of this journey. Because as I shared with our leadership last Sunday night, this is never going to be about acquiring buildings and land. That's not primarily what this is about. This is about a spiritual journey that God wants us to go on with Him, just as He did the nation of Israel in the book of Joshua. Not so we can acquire land and buildings, but so that we can grow to trust Him more and see Him work in ways we could never see any other way and grow in our faith and become stronger spiritually. If at the end of the day, even if God would open this up and one day we would have our church over there, if we can't look back and say that through this process and through this journey, we're not spiritually better off, then I would pray we would never go there. Because it's not ever going to be about buildings and lands at the Oasis. It's going to be about growing spiritually. And whatever God wants to do to get us to that point. And finally, that we as a church will use this opportunity as a witness to our community. Now obviously, you can pray about a lot more than that on Wednesday. But we would just like to ask and encourage you. Would you join us in praying about this? Because... In the last couple years, as your building team has gotten together and we've done our due diligence and we have looked at every possibility, this is what we all keep coming back to. And I'll say this, I don't think this is, this is something insignificant. I think this is very significant. Everyone on the building team sees this as the best viable place for us. It was unanimous. And I know a lot of you who've been there some of you have actually been over there and you've prayed over that already. You've walked that property. You've prayed over it. 
we would just ask you would continue to do so. Because at the end of the day, all we want is God's will. All we want is, God, what you would have for us. And I really believe, as I told our leadership last Sunday, that God has been speaking very clearly to me as the pastor of this church. And just as Joshua heard God say this in Joshua chapter 1, I feel God saying this to me as the pastor of the Oasis. Get ready. It's time to cross. And so, would you get ready with me? And would you begin to pray over this possibility. Obviously, anything we hear, anything that we get through this process, we will come back to you and we will let you know where we're at in the process and what more we could ask for you to pray about. Let's close in prayer and I'll let you guys go. And thanks for bearing with me today. God, we are excited, Lord, about what you have for us, but not because it's about land and buildings because it's about growing in you and with you. It's about us as a church and us as individuals allowing you to take us somewhere just like you took the Israelites across that Jordan River to experience you and your faithfulness and your greatness and your awesomeness in a way that we never could if we just stayed here. Because God, just like you told Joshua and the people of Israel... That's my land anyway, and if I want to give it to you, I'll give it to you. But it's never about the final part of the process. For you, God, it's always about taking your people through that process so that we can be stretched, so that we can grow, so that we can learn and increase in ways we never could, Lord, if we were just willing to just stay where we were. In a sense, God, that even goes along with the message today about being willing to change. Not just for change's sake. But we'd be willing to follow you in this ongoing process that you have for us to build us up and to make us stronger. And so, God, I pray that as a church we would come together like never before. And that this would galvanize us and, and Lord, excite us and, and give us something, Lord, as a church that we could come together with and come together about like we never have, Lord, since this church started almost five years ago. And to realize, Lord, what could happen both in the present and in the future, Lord. What you could do with us as a church to flood this valley with your word in ways that we could never even dream. So God, may we set aside Wednesday, this Wednesday, as a day where we truly, as a church, seek your face and seek your will and seek you, God. And may you give us a great week. Lord, use us. Use us as your worshipers, as those who have been called to make you, Lord, the object of our supreme, the supreme worth of our lives. Lord, nothing and no one is more important to us than you. Help us to live that out this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. And pick up one of those as you're on your way out today.